The FBI and the DOJ hit the panic button after Donald Trump sent out one of his infamous tweets. You see, there was a meeting that took place between a number of individuals from those two agencies happened on March 6, 2017. And hmm, what happened right before that? Well, we had an election and we had the transition of power. Obama was on his way out. Trump was on his way in, took office in January. And so now we have this transitionary meeting where a lot of people are there, people that we spent a lot of time here covering, people like Bill Prystep from the FBI, remember Peter Strzok also from the FBI, Andrew McCabe and James Jim Baker, but they weren't alone. The rest of the required attendees are here. And just look at them. You can see Dana Boenti. We've got uh, several others that were, really don't stand out as much, but Winnie Brinkley and others. And what they're talking about is Donald Trump's tweet. Now, the meeting starts out pretty casually. You see that the notes were being taken by somebody from the DOJ, and they've got a list of everybody there. It is again, March 6, 2017. BP, which is Bill Prystep, writes, lots of activity from the Russians as a result of the surprising result not unique to Russia. And Hillary was supposed to win this. Everybody told us, oh, 98% chance that Trump clown is never going to get anywhere near that Oval Office. Well, turns out that didn't go exactly according to their plan. And so Bill is now chiming in. The Russians have a lot of activity going on. We get another one from Andy McCabe says, we have an enduring effort regarding the Russians. Peter Strzok chimes in and says Papadopoulos in May. Trump received a suggestion from something kind of hard to read, but a lot of this is really inconsequential. It's just kind of the meetings getting started, rounding up everybody and diving into the issues. But it's all taking a turn towards something that captivates the rest of the meeting, Donald Trump's tweet. Here's what that looks like. Remember, just a few days before the meeting, which took place on March 6th, here we have on March 4th, Donald Trump's tweet hits the airwaves, hits the Twitterverse. It says, terrible, exclamation. Just found out that Obama had my, quote, wires tapped in a Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. And if you're at the FBI, you know exactly what happened here. You know all about this. Why? Because this is what Michael Sussman brought to your office. Jim Baker, who is at the March 6th meeting, here was the same recipient of the Michael Sussman three white papers, the same dossiers that the FBI concluded and everybody knew basically was fake, wasn't legitimate. They knew what Donald Trump was talking about because they knew that Sussman was bringing them research that was given to him by Rodney Jaffe and Fusion GPS, and they were the people that actually hacked and infiltrated and were legitimately, literally spying on Donald Trump. FBI knew that, and they continue on in this meeting as follows. It starts with Exhibit A. Now, this is a document coming over from Tashina Guahar. She's somebody from the Department of Justice, and she's also taking notes. We've got several different layers of notes. We have this set, which is coming from Scott Schools. Then we have this set, which is another set of notes from an individual with the DOJ. Exhibit A, this is all coming from the Michael Sussman trial, which is starting on Monday, May 16th. And we're going to cover that in depth. But this is the conversation 
taking place in that meeting. You'll notice that it turns immediately to the tweets. And look at all these bullet points under there. They're spending a lot of time talking about this. It says, Saturday tweet responding to Donald Trump's literal post. Says the FBI is reviewing what is behind it. You know what's behind it because Michael Sussman brought the very documents to Jim Baker. Jim Baker communicated what's in the documents to two people who were also at the meeting, Bill Prystep and Trisha Anderson. So this goes on. They're having a conversation about it. There was a BB article from Friday, something, a different activity, server, late summer, FBI got into it, and it goes on and on. Now, the reason why this is being introduced by the defense, Michael Sussman's defense team is submitting this, is because of this sentence here. An attorney, in quotes, brought to the FBI on behalf of his client. And if you're not following along the Sussman case, one of the main issues in that trial is whether Sussman lied to the FBI about being there on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign or not. He was there on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign, in my opinion, and he communicated in a manner that was dishonest to the FBI by not affirmatively acknowledging that and, and not even responding honestly when asked about it. He sort of voluntarily communicated that I am not coming to you on behalf of anybody else. And so the question, of course, is did he lie about that? Did he lie about saying I'm not on behalf of a client, yes or no? If you look at this person's notes to Sheena Guajars, her notes say an attorney brought them to the FBI, brought these allegations to the FBI on behalf of his clients. So Durham is saying that, no, you never said that you were there on behalf of your clients. You didn't say that you were coming to the FBI for Hillary. You said the opposite. You said you were doing this on your own. But those notes show up reflecting that record that he did not communicate he was there on behalf of a client from other FBI agents. So the defense wants to show this other notes from a DOJ official saying that the record shows differently. The record shows that Sussman actually did bring people, did bring this information on behalf of his client. So he wasn't, in fact, lying to the FBI. All this was being done openly. He was telling everybody about this. Now, we'll talk about whether these documents can be admitted or not, whether these notes are going to get in. But the defense is trying to get all of this submitted. Here's another note talking about all the tweets. FBI is trying to determine at the same meeting what is behind the POTUS tweets, possibly computer server of Alpha Bank. So again, notes, right? Trying to determine what's behind POTUS tweets. Reported in British News, dredged up something about FISA. You can see successful in October. Refused to answer, refused to server. First brought to the FBI. More difficult to see what is this person is writing about. This note comes over from Mary McCord, also at the DOJ. And you see a big part of this conversation about the tweets. FBI sort of in, sort of, I think, shock mode, realizing that Donald Trump's that actually knows that he was being spied on at this time. And remember, this was all news to us. I mean, at the time we're thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Donald Trump says they spy on, that's ridiculous. How is the FBI spying on anybody? You know, we had a different understanding, at least I did, of the FBI back then. I've learned a lot about them over these last several years. So this is now... Another bit of notes that the defense in the Sussman case wants to be admitted because of another section of these notes, but I'll show you that in a minute. Here is the last section showing us just how much activity was being put into this conversation. This note came over from Scott Schools. This is exhibit D out of the Sussman trial. Tweet activity is the headline and look at all these notes 
all are here, right? All talking, or AM, that's Andy McCabe is talking about this, trying to figure out if someone, if the Breitbart article from 3.3, a couple of things were retrieved from there, uh, required FISA court in July. They're talking about a lot of this, covering a server. And they all know exactly what Trump is talking about because Sussman communicated this to James Baker, who communicated it to everybody else in that meeting. And so this is all just much ado. I don't know. Well, what could he, I don't know. Oh, who could possibly be tapping him? Maybe it's the Russians. You know, very confusing for our intelligence agencies. They can't connect the dots. Trump's talking about the very servers, or maybe there's more to this, you know, than, than, than even this. The tentacles on this go deep. This is Sussman's first prosecution. This is Durham's first prosecution. And we know from our mind map how far these tentacles can go. So these are the notes. The defense wants them in. And I'm going to show you exactly why. This is the actual motion that came in from Sussman's defense team. You see it's 11 pages long. We'll hit the highlights. But if you recall in a prior video, we talked about both parties having to submit their exhibits into the court. You got to show your cards to some degree. This is what I'm going to present. These are the witnesses I'm going to call. This is the evidence that I'm going to have marked as an exhibit and then submitted in front of the jurors. And both sides get to, okay, let me see that uh, objection. Here's why. And you want to resolve this stuff before trial starts so that you're not in the middle of a trial, in the middle of your case. And you, you know, oh, well, I've never seen that before. Nobody, you didn't tell me you were going to bring John in here to testify. This is crazy. And you want to sort this stuff out. Part of that process is being able to object to one side's exhibits. That happened in this case. Durham and the prosecution doesn't want the defense to be able to talk about all these things because it's going to now combat their theory of their case. It's going to combat their narrative. Sussman is using a defense to say other notes are contrary to your notes. My notes refute your notes. Let's see if we can piece this together. Defendant Sussman by his counsel is specifically asking the court to admit these documents. They write, about the meeting that took place in late March 2022, which is just a couple months ago, Durham and special counsel produced Brady material. So this is information that is exculpatory, meaning if the defense looks at it, it might show that the defense is innocent or have some sort of excuse or an alibi, or it might support a not guilty verdict. This is called exculpatory evidence, exculpatory material. It's very, very important to the defense because remember, the prosecution has all the cards in most criminal cases. They have the police reports. They have all the body cams. They have all of the witness statements. They have the blood results. They have all of the cards. It's their case file. It's their prosecution. And so if they have something in there that might be useful to the defense that might, oh, actually, we also have, we have all this evidence that incriminates this guy, but we also have this evidence that shows he absolutely didn't do it. Well, why don't we just kind of, uh, uh, that, that doesn't seem like it fits in this case file. So we'll just probably in the wrong case file. So we'll just remove it. Now this case file looks perfect. Great. And so they remove that evidence. It's, it's exculpatory. The defense never gets to see it. And guess what? They don't even know that they maybe found a fact in their investigation that wrecks their whole case because the prosecution hit it. So here we're saying, you've got to give that stuff over to the defense. Officer personnel files, if they have crimes or, or violations of dishonesty or things of moral turpitude in their files, well, maybe they're dishonest in other criminal investigations. And so all of that needs to be turned over to the defense. So now that we know what that is, Sussman's defense is telling us that special counsel produced handwritten notes of several participants 
at a March 2017 meeting. We just looked at those at which senior members of the FBI briefed the DOJ acting attorney general about various aspects of the FBI's investigation into Russian influence. During that meeting, James Baker was there. Trish Anderson was there. We had Andy McCabe, deputy director of the FBI was there. McCabe stated that the Alpha Bank allegations were provided to the FBI by an attorney on behalf of his client, right? And McCabe there is this gentleman right here who has been the subject of a lot of congressional inquiry and has a lot of people feel a way about him. But he comes out now in a March 2017 meeting, many, many months after the September meeting that took place, and he wasn't even at that original meeting. And he wasn't even the person who got the update from Jim Baker. Those updates went to Trish Anderson and to Bill Prystep. So we've got sort of multiple layers of being removed from this, but the defense still wants his statement in. We're going to see that the court's going to say, well, probably going to be a lot of hearsay on hearsay. And these documents don't get to come in because this is the truth of the matter. This goes directly to the truth of the matter asserted. A big part of this trial is whether or not Sussman lied to the FBI about being there on behalf of a client. If Andy McCabe comes out and says, oh yeah, no, he said he was there on behalf of a client. I remember it clearly now. You say, well, okay, that's pretty much directly on point to the truth of the matter. So that's hearsay. And now we have to go through the hearsay analysis. And we saw how much hearsay analysis we went through yesterday when trying to get Trisha's notes and Bill's notes into court because of the rules about hearsay and wanting good evidence. And we spent all the time on that yesterday, not going to do it again here. But what the defense is saying is this new information directly contradicts the special counsel's core allegation of the case that Sussman told Baker that he was not meeting on behalf of any client. Right. It's going to the truth of the matter. Indeed, the special counsel has focused on a short text message that Sussman sent. And we've talked about that here. It says, hey, Jim, you know, I just left Domino's and I need to come over and meet with you about something very nefarious. That text message, writes the defense, from Sussman represents just one moment in time. That's it. We got to add some context to that thing, okay? Anybody can read one text message and make it say whatever you want. One day later, though, we know that Sussman had a 30-minute meeting with Baker. Huh. And guess what's so fun about this meeting? Well, wasn't recorded. There were no notes of the meeting. And Mr. Baker did not write a report regarding the meeting. And no one else was present for the meeting. So these two little lovebirds have a very intense conversation about that text message the day after the text. Nobody knows what was said on it. Oh, very curious. Mr. Sussman and Mr. Baker also had several phone conversations over the course of that week, including on Wednesday, September 21st, Thursday, September 22nd. And the clock is ticking. We're about to get into October. Hillary Clinton needs a win. As was true of the September 19th meeting, Baker did not record those calls. He did not take notes of those calls. And he did not write a report about those calls. Man, that's not such good practice for the general counsel for the FBI. I mean, good Lord, you're talking to somebody about an issue of national security, about potentially a hacked election that installs Donald Trump in. No notes, no follow-up, no recordings, just several casual conversations with a good Samaritan named Michael Sussman from Perkins Coy, who represents basically the entire DNC, not to mention Hillary Clinton. Give me a break, these two. FBI general counsel, right? Good Lord. All right, so I don't buy it for a minute. Anyways, at some point between September 18th and March 6th, so we go through about six months there, 
FBI apparently came to believe that Sussman did have a client in connection with Mr. Baker and his meeting with the FBI, saying that the FBI allegations were on behalf of his client. So he's saying, well, something happened in between that time frame. FBI didn't know he had a client, and then he suddenly they knew he had a client. FBI could not have come to believe that based on conversations with Sussman after his phone calls because the FBI chose not to interview him about the information he provided. So the defense argues, they say, therefore, it is highly significant that as of March 2017, when the FBI was asked to provide the DOJ leadership with a summary back on that meeting, they did. They had a summary on it. They got together in that room and they took a bunch of notes. We read through those notes. We saw this one from Tashina Guahar. That was in Exhibit A, which we've already looked at. It says, an attorney on behalf of his client. Remember that little paragraph? So they want the jurors to see that because if they see Bill's notes that said, Sussman said he was not here on behalf of a client. If they look at Trisha's notes that say basically the same thing, the defense wants to combat that and say, no, we have our own notes where somebody recorded down later, yes, at a different meeting, that he was there on behalf of a client. And you say, well, okay, we've got competing notes now. But now we have to ask ourselves, well, who did Tashina hear this from? She wrote notes down. And so it sounds like she heard that from who? I don't know. Was it Bill? Was it Trisha? Was it James Baker in the meeting? Well, we don't know. And so that's sort of like the game of telephone. You have multiple people hearing multiple things and repeating it six months later. And so those statements, they sort of aren't really deemed reliable in the court. And we say that's really hearsay. That's double hearsay. That's somebody saying, I heard something and they heard something and they wrote it down. Okay. Should we let that into court? Probably not. I think the judge is going to boot it all. But we have another one here talking about did and did not say who the client was, which implies that he acknowledged he had a client. Those came from Mary McCord's notes. The significance of the March 2017 notes, writes the defense, is further underscored by the fact that Baker, Prystep, and Anderson, all of whom are on the special counsel's witness list, were all there in the meeting. To the extent that Durham argues, as the defense expects he will, that Mr. Baker's recollection of the meeting has been refreshed by Prystep's notes. It's obvious to special counsels that special counsel's failure to refresh Mr. Baker's recollection was contradictory to the notes. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there, but basically what this argument is saying is that the defense knows that Durham is going to call in James Baker. He actually is the person who met with Sussman. Baker is probably going to say, I don't remember anything. I don't take notes or record anything. That's just what I do. I'm a great lawyer, though. And he's going to have to refresh it, reflect his. And he's going to have to refresh his recollection. How's he going to do that with Mr. Bill Prystap's notes? Because Baker had a conversation with Bill. Bill wrote down. Part of that conversation in his notes said that Sussman told Baker I'm not, that he was not there on behalf of a client that hit the notes. The defense is saying, all right, we know this is going to happen. And this is very important because it's relevant to Mr. Baker's credibility. We're going to challenge his credibility. The defense now to address this intends to adduce evidence of this meeting at trial, including the 2017 notes taken by those in attendance. In his objections to Mr. Sussman's exhibits, the special counsel questioned whether a non-hearsay basis exists to allow these notes to come in. The defense says, yes, there is plenty. They give us some background. We've already gone through the background of the meeting at length, but you can see some of the titles of the other people who were there. Dana Boenti. We have Tashina Guahar. She wrote some notes. Associate Deputy Attorney General and many others. Scott Schools, also Associate DAG and others that we've talked about. Now, 
Trish Anderson is also listed as being somebody who attended the meeting. Attendees from the FBI included Mr. McCabe, Mr. Baker, and Ms. Anderson. But if you look on the actual meeting form, I didn't see Ms. Anderson on here. We've got McCord, Evans, Toskos, Prystep, Struck, Peter Struck was there, right? Becky, Crowell, Scott, Boenti, McCabe, Baker, JCC, Brinkley, and Gamble. So she may have joined in after the fact, but wasn't there while it was going on. But why does the defense want this in? We've already talked about this. They're saying that the attorney right here who was bringing this to the FBI did so on behalf of his client. So the defense wants those notes in. Same thing here. We talked about attorney brought to the FBI, but did not say who it was for, right? So in other words, Yes, there's a client, but we just don't know who. And if they can get all of that in, then that goes to the materiality of the Sussman defense, that he actually did not, in fact, lie. At the briefing, as related, they give us some more details. They talk about those specific phrases that we've already seen in the notes, but they're just explaining to the court where this comes from. And they close out this argument. They say the March 2000 notes are also admissible to attack the special counsel's prejudicial handling of a witness. And they're giving all sorts of different justifications as to why the judge should let this stuff come in and land in front of the jurors. March 17, 2000 notes, you write, you see they write are admissible pursuant to the above mechanisms and they sign off on this May 8th by Sean Berkowitz and Michael Bosworth, along with several other attorneys over at Latham and Watkins. And they are in New York. And so the FBI, little bit of a panic mode after Donald Trump sent that tweet out. They spent large part of that meeting hashing through it. I wonder what he's talking about. Well, you know what he's talking about. We all know what he's talking about. Sussman brought the records right to the FBI, showing that Rodney Jaffe and others had sort of infiltrated the DNS system and were literally spying on Donald Trump. So for them to sit there and oh, wonder what's going on, you know what happened after that. We've been covering it. John Durham, special counsel's office, leading the prosecution against Michael Sussman. Trial starts with jury selection on May 16th. We're going to be covering it in depth, and I would love it if you joined us. So don't forget to subscribe before you get out of here. I would love it if you left a like as well, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one.